Uh, you guys are too good. Oh, you made me cry. Stop it. Oh, you guys. Oh. For those of you who are visiting, they do that every time I get up here to preach. Yeah. I, I, I so appreciate that. Um, I just love you guys. Um, I, I have just been overwhelmed, overwhelmed by uh, the commitment to prayer for me the last month. I had a cancerous growth removed. They took out 35% of my lip, but uh, I'm no uglier than I was before. My wife thinks it's sexy, so I'm, you know, I'm going with it. And, uh, but you know what? I just have so appreciated the, the prayer covering and the hundreds of cards have just been, uh, it's just really, every night we sit down and look through the cards and just thank God for, for uh, just all of you and for the love we have here and the solidarity. Appreciate people stepping up. We, J- July was a uh, funky warfare month. I don't know that we're totally out of it either, but I, there's a light, there's a light, lightning going on, um, lightning going on. Uh, but uh, it, it, people stood, stood in the gap, and there's just been a lot of roaring going on. There's a time when you got to roar, right? And um, so praise God, and God's turning it around, um, using it for the better, discipling us, growing us, making us a unified body. Uh, what we can do together is, it, this, is why, this is why there is a, a body of Christ. We can do more together than we can individually. So He unites us. And sometimes I think we need a little bit of persecution uh, in order to really rally together. And so I thank God for that. God used it in my own life uh, to just do some refining work. Uh, July was a wonderful growing time for me. I feel uh, just more freed from the world, concerns for the world, than I've ever felt in my life. I feel like we've talked about that center, that zone, where you're just in the love of God and in the joy of God. I feel like I'm learning how to live there more, more frequently. Um, I just feel growing in, in love uh, for Christ and, and for people in general, and it, that's what it's all about. So I, I, it was really a good month. It was a terrible month. And if you understand kingdom principles, you understand how that is not a contradiction. Amen. So I, anyways, I really appreciate that. I, I also want to say this, um, and I've got to do some announcements, and then we'll get into the Word, finally. But um, about, a, about a half a year ago or so, you might remember we showed some slides from Haiti. There's a clinic where we were uh, giving, uh, there's a clinic that, that, that gives a, a, a nourishment drink to the, about 100 kids, 90 kids a day in this very impoverished section of Haiti. Um, and you remember that, the little kids with the, the milk on their, on their lips and stuff, and we told some stories about that. Providence Ministries, is, uh, which is one of the ministries at Woodland Hills Church that is associated with, with Haiti, has, has gotten in, in, in line with that clinic, and we're sending down uh, volunteers uh, to, to, work in, to work there. Um, the guy who runs that clinic, he's also, he lives in Haiti, he's lived there uh, most of his life. He has um, planted 35 churches. Uh, in this area of Haiti, actually all around Haiti. He's, uh, he's a mountain man. He, he walks to these villages and then just sets up these, these tent meetings and, and uh, uh, have, has revivals and plants churches. And uh, we're just honored to, to have him here in this service. Uh, David Buston, would you just stand up? We just want to, you know, just honor you. Way to go, my man. One of these secret warriors for the kingdom. Way to go. 
I just appreciate coming in contact with people that are that sold out. Uh, it's, a, it's a marvelous thing. Uh, in, the, in the gathering area, there's a table for Providence Ministry, which is this ministry to Haiti, and Dave will be back there if you want to meet him. There's also an opportunity if you want to sponsor a child uh, going to a school in Labiche. Um, uh, Providence Ministry has some cards like this. You can just sponsor one. They even give you a picture of the child that you'll be sponsoring. So you, you might want to uh, check that out. Okay, let's go through the announcements in two minutes. Visitors, if you're here, we love you. Glad you're here. Uh, if you want to fill out the card in the bulletin uh, and uh, hand it in at the visitor's table in the gathering area after the service, you get a tape and can find out some more about the church. Um, if you have your uh, phones or pagers here, please turn them off. Uh, and if your child starts to act up, it may be very well be that we had an overflow of children this morning. Some, we need to build more space because sometimes we have to turn away children. It breaks my heart. So you may have kids in the service, and, and we love them here, but if they start to act up, we have crying rooms in the back where you can hear the service uh, in seclusion. Uh, tonight there's a prayer, praise, and healing service. If you have any physical need or want to pray for those with physical needs or emotional needs or any needs, uh, you're encouraged to come to that at 6 o'clock. Uh, there's corporate prayer on Wednesday at 6.30. Uh, otherwise, read your bulletin for a lot of other upcoming events. One that I don't think is in there is that North Heights Church is having a, their Holy Spirit conference. This, I think it's this weekend, isn't it? Uh, and, and it's on, I'm speaking at it, you know, so it's like, I hope it's this way. Uh, and it's on spiritual warfare. I'll be speaking Saturday night. Uh, Rick Joyner is speaking, uh, I think, Friday night. And Francis, I can never pronounce his last name, Fragapon or Frankapon or Frank, Frank, what? Frankapain? Frankapain. I, I don't know what his name is, but, but he's a well-known speaker in, in these kind of circles. So, <laughs> like, we're, we're best friends, you know what I'm saying? So uh, you're invited to attend that. That's every evening. And they also, I think, have some uh, stuff going on uh, during the day. Uh, also, then, Discovering a Covenant Relationships, uh, is uh, that class will be held August 10th. That's a prerequisite for being a covenant partner. And you need to contact Becky Pfeiffer for that. And also, two weeks ago when Irwin preached, and, you know, thank God, don't we have a repertoire of preachers around here? Uh, you know, that, that, Irwin and Ephraim and... Pastor Coleman, we, we, you really had a feast there. Um, but uh, Irwin ran out of books when he was here. Well, we have more copies uh, in the gathering area if you want to get his book. Also, there will not be any uh, um, listening hearts this week. Hopefully your heart will be listening. But the ministry listening hearts is canceled because Mary Ellen Gaston uh, uh, had some heart problems. Keep her in prayer. She's a pillar of the church. And uh, she's been hospitalized, so that, that mystery won't be meeting this week, and, and keep her covered in prayer. That should do it. Will the ushers come forward? We're now going to continue to worship the Lord with uh, our uh, offering. I encourage you to just be praying, seeking the Lord about how He would have you steward your resources vis-a-vis the ministry that's going on here. This is what allows the ministry to go on. This is just how God arranged things. It's out of the, the uh, vision of our mind and our heart and the passion that we have to seeing the world touch for Jesus Christ, that uh, the, the work goes forward. So we praying about that. And then let's pray also for the message. Father, in Jesus' name, we submit this to you. We thank you for your tender, loving presence that is here. Where two or three are gathered together, you, God of this universe and Savior of our souls, you are here in the midst of us. We pray, Lord God, that you would be moving here as we worship you. We ascribe worth to you and the value that your work has to us by offering up back a portion of what you've blessed us with, Lord. We pray, Lord God, you'd be moving to build in our hearts and minds kingdom principles and a kingdom vision 
of what's really important in life. Free us, Lord God, from the addiction to the things of this world. And Father, as the word goes forth, we pray it would have your anointing. Uh, Lord, an authority that doesn't come from human speech or human excitement, but just has you written all over it. And use it, God, to transform us to be Christ-like, to look like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to see people like Jesus sees people, to see ourselves like he sees us. Only you can do that, Lord, so we surrender to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What I want to do, we're, uh, we've dealt with this, a series on love and the knowledge of good and evil, and I think that tape series is now available for you. Um, but we're not done with this topic yet. I, I'm not sure exactly how the Lord's going to lead here, but I know what I'm supposed to do this morning. And basically, I'm just supposed to read a story and then just review the story. Uh, it, it's one that hit me about two weeks ago in a powerful, powerful way. It is, it is to me, one of the most beautiful uh, slices of the life of Jesus. It's just beautiful. And um, I'm just praying God will use this story to challenge us, to maybe confront some pharisaical thinking that we might have in our, in our, in our minds, and uh, to make us more Christ-like. It comes out of Luke chapter 7. That's a rather long section of Scripture. But it's worth reading through. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, it's on the the screen overhead. And I'm reading from the New New Revised Standard Version. Starting with verse 31, Luke chapter 7. To what then will I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? Jesus is at this point frustrated with the Pharisees. It says in the verse before this, they, they rejected God's purpose for themselves by rejecting John the Baptist. They thwarted God's will for their life. And so Jesus is frustrated. He says, what am I going to compare this generation like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not weep. And and, uh, what he's getting at there is simply this. No matter what we do, you don't go along with it. There's an obstinacy here. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine... And you say he has a demon. Okay, so we have a person who abstains from everything and, and, and you think the abstaining is, is demonic. The Son of Man, that's referring to Jesus, he comes and he eats and he drinks. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, no matter what we do, no matter what God serves up to you, you religious types who get life from your religion and not from God, Your hypercritical spirit always finds something wrong. It's too strict or it's not strict enough. It's also interesting here to see the reputation that Jesus had. Hung out with gluttons and tax collectors and prostitutes. And he apparently ate pretty well and he did drink wine. In fact, rumor has it he went to a wedding and turned water into wine. I raised some Pharisee eyebrows. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by its children. And what the Lord is saying there is simply this. Uh, The wisdom of God. God's involved in this, though you can't see it, but it's vindicated by its children. In other words, it's vindicated by what it produces. Look at the changed lives, and that will by, by, by their fruit you will know them. By the changed lives you'll see that this is really of God. If you're looking for it, if you're willing to dance to the flute, if you're willing to play in the marketplace. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. 
And this wasn't a friendly gesture. They were having Jesus over to, to investigate him. Religious spirits are always doing that. They're always sizing people up. Well, wonder, wonder how, how you fare. And so this Pharisee was going to have him over because they wanted to kind of maybe even entrap Jesus in something. And he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. You may wonder why Jesus in, accepted this invitation uh, when uh, the intent was not necessarily friendly. But see, Jesus loved the Pharisee as much as the prostitutes and tax collectors. And, and so he, he wanted to, to uh, in some way, reach them. And a woman in the city who was a sinner. The phrase there is sort of a polite first century way of saying she was loose, perhaps even saying she was a hooker. And she was known as being that. As soon as she walked in the room, everybody knew who she was. She was a sinner, a woman of the streets, having learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. This is a a very, very rare kind of ointment or perfume, uh, very expensive. It's remarkable that this lady had this in her possession, but she comes in with this. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet, did this over and over and over again, kissing his feet and anointing them with this ointment. I want you to get a picture of this in your mind. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, here's the judgment. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who was touching him and, and that she is a sinner. The presupposition is that Jesus didn't know this, and if he did know this, he wouldn't let her carry on the way she's carrying on. Jesus spoke up and said to Simon, Jesus not only knows who she is, he, he knows who Simon is. And Simon, I have something to say to you. And what he's saying here is, Simon, I'm hoping I can get into your heart with this one here. He loves Simon. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor, Jesus said, had two de- debtors, One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When neither of them could pay, he canceled the debts of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon. So he's looking at the woman and he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? Jesus doesn't say, do you see this hooker? Do you see this woman, this creation of God? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with this precious ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Uh, the, the word that she's, he's not saying that, that she's forgiven because of what she did. What he's saying there, and, and, and the Greek there can mean uh, because of or in view of. What he's saying there is that, that uh, you can tell that she understands that she's been forgiven by the fact that she's acting like this. Hence, she has shown great love. She's been forgiven, and that's why she's showing this love. She's not getting the love to get the forgiveness. She is forgiven, so she's giving the love. You can't do anything to get forgiven. You just can, all you can do is accept it. It's for free. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Or you might say the one who thinks that they've been forgiven little will tend to love a little. 
But those who were, and then he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? They're constantly critical. That's that hypercritical religious spirit. And he said to the woman, he just ignores them. Don't pay any attention to them. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This story, every time I've come back to that this this week, every time I've prayed about it, every time i thought about this message, it just pierces my heart. Because it shows something so beautiful about our Savior. And so absolutely crucial to us if we're going to be authentic disciples of His. I want to break the story down by just a couple questions. And the first question is this. Why did this lady go into the Pharisee's house? What was she doing in this Pharisee's house? A Pharisee's house, let alone a Pharisee's party, is the last place you, you expect a loose woman to show up. Walking into a Pharisee's house, let alone a house full of Pharisees, th- these are the religious dignitaries. These are the important people. These are the reverends of the day. Okay, These are the ones who, who hold toe the line. Okay, They're the Bible ponders on the street corners. And, and to go into a house like this, having a reputation, everybody knows who you are, you sleep around, you're loose, going into that context is a very unsafe thing to do. You know you're going to get castigated. You know you're going to get judged. In fact, the law was on their side. Worse things than that could happen. They still have stoning as the crime for adultery. What was she doing there? And she bashes a party. She's not invited. She bashes the party to get there. I, it's kind of like, I don't know if any of you ever listened to Dr. Laura on, on AM 1500. Some, some of you do. Don't you wonder sometimes why these people call in? Uh, Dr. Laura has some good things to say, uh, but she can also be, uh, I'm going to say it nicely here, okay, uh, ferocious. Uh, uh, there's certain issues, you know, if you call in and, and she finds out that, that uh, you know, you're, you're married, uh, that, that, that you're living with someone out of wedlock, or that you had a baby out of wedlock, or anything like that, on national radio, she will rake you over the coals. And uh, what amazes me is some people call in and they just say, yeah, you know, I, I'm living with my boyfriend. I've got three, guys, three kids from other, other uh, you know, uh, relationships. And I'm wondering why my third child is so angry. Can you help me with this child? And Dr. Laura doesn't do what I think a good counselor sh- should do, actually, uh, and just kind of uh, address the issue they present. No, she uh, will speak her mind on this whole thing. And, and you wonder, like, sometimes if you're listening to this, and I don't do it often, but when, when someone calls in and says this, you kind of cringe, like, oh, no, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. <laughs> One time she even said, a person called in and gave this story here, and this is kind of her shtick. This is why people tune in. They want to hear this sort of thing. A lady called in and kind of gave one of these stories, and, and Dr. Laura said, you don't listen to my program very often, do you? Because <laughs> if you did, you wouldn't have just volunteered that information. Well, here's this lady is like walking in there saying, abuse me, beat me up, judge me, castigate me. I'm not, you know, you all know who I am. What would lead a woman to go into a house like that? And the only answer you can give is the answer we sang about uh, this morning. And that is that she was desperate for Jesus. She was hungry for Jesus. She wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. And she was willing to do anything and really pay any price just to be around Jesus. The thing that amazes me is this. Why would a woman with this reputation want to be around Jesus, when, even when he's in an unsafe context? Which leads to this question. Why, did, why was it the case that wherever Jesus went, people like this woman flocked to him? The 
tax collectors, the gluttons, the drunkards, they hung out with this guy. It blows me away. They, they didn't flock. Nobody flocked to the Pharisees. They maybe felt obligated uh, out of religious duty to listen to the Pharisees sometimes. But they didn't like want to hang around uh, with the Pharisees. But they did with Jesus. They come out to, to the, to the, to the uh, countryside as he'd be preaching on the mountaintops. Maybe one of the reasons is because the Bible says that numerous times that he'd look out over the crowds. Just average crowds from the, you know, the average people. Some a little bit better than others. Some a little bit worse than others. And he had compassion on them, it said. He said, come unto me, all you that labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He had compassion on these people. There's something about Jesus that made them feel accepted. Something about Jesus that touched the core of their being. In the presence of Jesus, there's, they, they had a sense that, that they're getting fed with what they were created to get fed with. There's, there's something, there's a worth that they get, a love that they get, an acceptance that they get that they don't get when they're hanging around the Pharisees. And so crowds flock to Jesus. Now the church is called the body of Christ, and our job on earth is to do exactly what Jesus did and to be who Jesus was. And so the question we've got to honestly ask ourselves is this, why aren't prostitutes knocking down the door of the church today? Why is it an unsafe context? Why do so many people stay away from church because they don't think they're good enough or they don't think they're holy enough or they don't think that they're righteous enough they don't think that they measure up? Why is it that people get nervous and they find out that I'm a pastor? It just it crushes me. It's like, oh, that means you're an unsafe person. I better watch what I say. I better watch what I do. I've got to also put on my you know, religious mask here. Why is that? And I submit to you that maybe, you know, we've just got to be honest about this. I'm talking about the church at large and, and, and us individually. Maybe it's because unwittingly we have more of a spirit of Phariseeism than we do the spirit of Jesus in our services. Can, can we be honest about this? We don't have perhaps the, the, all the rules and all the regulations and all the things, all the trappings that the Pharisees of the first century have, but we still have, do we not, a judgmental spirit, a measuring up kind of thing where we're always putting everyone through a filter. We see the sin before we see the, the, the worth of the person on the inside. Is it the, is it the case that maybe in our thinking and maybe in our speaking and maybe in our acting we send the message that if, if you're going to hang around with us, you've got to jump through some hoops and, and, and go through some programs and be this way or be that way, but one thing we're not going to do is just accept you and embrace you and love you and minister to you as you are. You see, this is exactly what Jesus did not do. They flocked to Jesus. They wanted to be around Jesus. There was a worth that they found in Jesus. And the thing that, 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 that uh, as we've seen through this series that we've done on love and the knowledge of good and evil, the thing that, that's got to land on us, I live in this question all the time. That, that's got to just be there in, 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 our, in the front of our face is this. The one thing we're called to do is to love like Jesus loves. We're called to do a lot of things, but the, 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 the most general umbrella is that we are to love like Jesus loved. It is our love, as we've seen, uh, that is to distinguish us. It is, it is our love that is to tell the world that Jesus Christ is for real. By your love they will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says in John 13. By your love, when you, when you love the way God loves, the way the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is loved, 
Then people will know that you are for real. Love like Jesus Christ loves, and you'll fulfill all that needs to be fulfilled in the law. But if you don't love like Jesus Christ loves, then it doesn't matter what else you fulfill in the law. It doesn't have kingdom value. The one thing we're supposed to be known for is outrageous love, Christ-like love, self-sacrificial love, agape love. It doesn't matter, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, whether you can speak in tongues like nobody else. If it's not done out of love and doesn't communicate love, it doesn't have kingdom value. It doesn't matter whether you can prophesy, whether you've got a word of knowledge, whether you can move bounds, whether you've got all faith, whether you are super holy and you can stand up for the right things, it just doesn't matter. If what you're communicating to the person that you're doing this with is not love, love is the beginning, love is the middle, love is the end, love is the end all of all of it. Amen. That's what Jesus was most known for. The church is known for a lot of things in, in, in our culture. But it's not really known for hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and gluttons and drunkards. We're not known for our outrageous love towards prostitutes. We're not generally known for our outrageous love for people who are marginalized in a racist society. We're not known for our outrageous love towards people that that society thinks are just indecent and and disgusting. We're not known for that. We're known for a lot of anger. A lot of people have this picture of of Christians that's just always ticked off at the culture. Mad about this. Mad about that. Mad about this law. Mad about that congressman. And we're constantly communicating that. But you know what? Whatever else you think about that. If, if it doesn't get through that everything we do is motivated by love and, and the worth that we ascribe to other people, then we ought not to do it. And there's a pharisaical spirit that says, oh, here we go, the love gospel again. Love, 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 you know. But this mamsy-pamsy, wishy-washy, watered-down, compromising, you know, gospel. Though you just preach God's love, don't you know? You, you know what? I'm trying to think of how to say it in a loving way. <laughs> the idea that, that this is elementary, maybe it is elementary, but until we get this down, we shouldn't move to first grade. You know, Maybe this is kindergarten, but if we don't get this down, then there's nothing else worth moving on to. But as a matter of fact, it's not elementary. It is elementary, and it's also Ph.D., uh, it, all growth is growth in love. All discipleship is discipleship in love. Learning how to worship passionately is just learning how to love God more. Uh, growing in your self-understanding is just growing in the understanding of how God loves you more. And uh, this, this, this pharisaical spirit that wants to, that sees that as compromise. You know what? Here's what I really come to see. If we're in fact doing it the way Jesus did it, then, then here's, here's one sign that you're doing the right thing. People who get life from being religious ought to be ticked off at you. Because they were always ticked off at Jesus. And, and if someone wants to criticize me personally or the church, and, and I, I don't know that it's being done, but it would be a compliment if it was being done. Uh, criticize you because, you know what, you hang around. Birds of a feather flock together. And, uh, you, know, you know, your reputation is you hang out with these, these you know, you, you, you just kind of hang out with these people and, and they're on all, all sorts of walks of life. You know, you come into your service and you've got people wearing this and looking this way and smelling that way and doing this behavior, doing that, whatever. Well, I just don't think you're standing up for truth. That's the criticism that I gladly wear. Because that was the reputation Jesus had. There's something magnetic about the love of Jesus. When the love is there, that, that, that non-judgmental love is there. And the, the irony is this. 
When, when people came, the wisdom is known by its children. When people come in contact with that kind of love, it, it may take a while, but that changes them more profoundly than all of your harsh words could ever change them. When a person gets gripped by the love of God, when they, when they come under that, when that begins to pierce their heart, they, they begin to change. They begin to melt. Uh, you know, the, the way they used to be is not the way they are anymore. They see themselves different. They see God different. They see the world different, and they begin to change. The love of God, the Bible says, leads to repentance. Praise God. If there's one thing we've got to do, it's, it's, it's learning how to receive and walk in God's outrageous love towards us and towards all people. That's why this woman crashed this party. She was desperate. She was desperate for this. This is what people are made for. She was desperate for this. Now, why was she crying? She walks into the house, she walks into the house and she starts bawling. And, the, and the, 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 it, it's... The passage doesn't make it clear exactly why, but I think if you look at that whole section, you can see why. Some people have thought, well, she came under conviction and, you know, for, for her ungodly life, and maybe there was an element of that. But if the passage says that the reason why she was, or suggests that the reason why she was doing everything she was doing is because she was overwhelmed by the forgiveness of God. She realized an infinite debt that she was... And he, what's interesting is that Jesus didn't say you are forgiven until the end of the episode. Do you notice that? It t- tells you that there's no formula, you know, until you say it, it's not done. No, see, God saw... Jesus saw her heart. And something about coming into the presence of Jesus, um, uh, coming into the presence of Jesus, she felt that. Even before maybe she knew it intellectually. Now, I don't know what her past was, but there's something about Jesus that made her want her to go to, to this house. Perhaps she had seen Jesus on, on the countryside, heard some of his teachings. But there's something that was magnetic about the, the person of Jesus Christ that made her want to be there. And it had something to do with the fact that around him, she felt loved. Around him, she felt worth. Around him, but only around him, she felt value. Around him, she felt forgiven. The question would arise in her mind, he really loves me? I can really have this worth? I can really have this value? And when you're in that kind of a presence, it sometimes makes you cry. All of her life, think about this, all of her life, the message that she had lived under was the message that she's good for one thing and one thing only, to give men sexual pleasure. I don't know how she got that. I don't know her story, but that's what she lived with. The religious people, you know, did even better than that. You're not even good for that. You're good for nothing. That's what you are. You're good for nothing. Being a prostitute in Galilee in the first century isn't like a great place to be, be if you want to be building self-esteem. And so here's this, this woman, this is how she thinks of herself, this is how she knows herself, but when she's in the presence of Jesus, those messages, those tapes, that self-understanding begins to, 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 to melt away. And for the first time in her life, she's around a man who's not trying to get something from her. She's around a man who's, who, who doesn't care how she looks. She's around a man who is interested in what he can give to her, not from what he can get from her. She's around a man that I'm sure she doesn't quite understand, but it makes her want to cry because she's feeling a love, and it's a love that's for free. It's a worth, and it's a worth that's for free. It's a value that she actually, that she actually has a kind of a dignity around this guy, and she craves this. Everybody does. She wants this. Everybody does. And when you get touched with this, you begin to weep. Sometimes people come into the service here. Sometimes I come into the service here. And when God moves in a certain way, like He did this morning, I, I start to cry. And when we're singing, you know, You are the air I breathe. I, it's like I, I start to weep. And it's not, I'm not weeping because I'm sad. 
And I'm not really weeping because I'm so happy. There's just something in me that says, this is what I was created for. I'm loved. I'm loved. I don't know how he can love me, but he does. Even right now, it makes me want to cry. I don't know. I, just the beauty of it. Just the beauty of it. The rightness of it. The way it feeds the heart. People come into service and they sometimes, it's the first note. I've talked to people who just say, from the first note, I just start crying. Why is that? It's like, well, it might have something to do with the presence of Jesus. And there are people who don't even believe in Jesus who come here. Praise God. We love you. And they start crying. And they don't even believe in Him. But, you know, that just shows that God can work in ways more profound than we can possibly process with our brain. See, God in His own way is tenderly touching them. In the core of your being, I have a worth. I have a value. When, when she walks into this room, it's, it's in, the, the Pharisees and Jesus see two totally different things. When the hooker walks into the room, bashes the Pharisees' party, what the Pharisees see is a social problem. This is the problem with society. We've got women like this walking the streets. What they see is maybe concern for their own reputation. Uh-oh, what if someone saw her walk in here? We need to make an example. We need to take her out in the street. We need to really castigate her. Maybe we should use this as an opportunity to stone her. We can't have been thinking about doing that anyways, just to show people that we don't accept this kind of behavior. So what they see is a, as, as a reputation problem. What they see is a social problem. Maybe what they see is disgust. Fueled by their own temptation. I want you to chew on that for just a second. It's like, you know, maybe this lady was really good looking and, and uh, you know, who knows. And, and they're tempted, you know, but they want to resist that and that just fuels their disgust for her. That's what they see when this woman walks in, but what Jesus sees. What Jesus sees is not the hooker, not the, the person with his jaded past, but this woman she sees a precious creation of God, a being who has got infinite worth, a being who in about a year he's going to die for because she's so precious. He, he loves her. He sees value in her. He, he's not concerned with the society problems at large or with reputation problems for goodness sake. doesn't need to make an example. What he's concerned with is her, her, the individual, this precious individual that no one else thinks is worth anything. He sees worth in her. And so when she walks into the room, she picks that up. People pick up this kind of stuff. He loves me. He thinks I'm worthwhile. I go to the end of the world for him. When you look into the eyes of God and see his love for you, that's what it does to the heart. Say, you know what, I I will go to the end of the world for you. And that's something that all the prohibitions and harsh words and judgmental sayings in the world could never do. Look at this woman's, what she does when she's here. She cries, tears fall on, her, on, on, the, on the feet of Jesus, and then she begins to, she kneels down at his feet, and you've got to get this picture, there's a table, there's a table, and there, in those days the tables were about four inches off the ground, they set the food on the table, and they'd all lay on one elbow with their feet sticking out, and they'd eat with, with one hand and, and rest their body on the other arm. And so they're all reclined, they're all laying down around this table, all these men, all these Pharisees, and then there's Jesus. This woman comes in, bashes the party. And, and she, she stands behind Jesus at his feet. And she's crying. She's just weeping. She's just bawling. Then she kneels down at, at, his, at, at his feet and begins to wash his feet. And in the first century, they're wearing sandals, if not barefoot, and the feet are dirty. But those, those teardrops are just you know, coming on, on that, those dirty feet. And then she begins to wipe it with her hair. And then she begins to kiss it. And then she takes out this precious uh, alabaster ointment and, and, and pours it on his feet. This is... This is outrageous behavior. What is going on here? It's very clear that she's worshiping him. In fact, we've got uh, drawings from the first century that this was a, a customary act of, of worship 
in, in the, among the pagans, they would picture the gods eating at a table and people would be worshiping them by, doing, by, by, by kneeling down by their feet. She's worshiping him. But she's worshiping him with the tools of her trade. Think about this, the, 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 the caressing, the kissing, the, the ointment, the perfume. That, that was a, uh, uh, a distinctive thing for women of the street. If they could get their hands on some of this uh, expensive perfume, it was a distinctive thing. It was very seductive. The very stuff that she used to use to seduce men with, she's now using to worship the Savior with. And no doubt the Pharisees were indignant at this, so I hear this woman comes in off the street. In the first century, you weren't, a woman wasn't supposed to touch a man except for her husband or speak to a man except for her husband. And here this woman with this reputation comes in and is not just touching Jesus, but kissing and, and caressing. And kind of, I'm sure that the, the, the Pharisees saw this as, as, as almost sensuous. No wonder they thought if Jesus was really a prophet, he'd put an end to this right now because this does not look good. Uh, yeah, what, it makes one wonder, doesn't it? Uh, what kind of history Jesus has with this woman? You know, they apparently are very good friends. Look what's going on here. Uh, you know, it, it, it does make one. Maybe we should. This is how we do it in Christian circles. You know, we need to pray for Jesus. I heard that he was with this woman and she was kind of you know, kissing his feet. And I think we really do. I'm concerned about Jesus. You know, boo, the rumor room, the really gets going on that one. They're indignant at this, but Jesus lets it happen. You see, here's the thing. When we take what we are, even though what we are is far from perfect, in fact, even our righteousness is filthy rags, but when we bring it to, to the feet of Jesus and offer it up out of, a, out of a heart, it becomes an act of worship. And Jesus lets her do it because Jesus sees her heart. And this is all she had. This is all she, she knew how to kiss. She knew how to caress. She had a little bit of ointment. And so she brings it to Jesus. I can almost picture this woman in her house. She hears that Jesus is coming to town to, the, to, the, to Simon's house. And, and, and so she's wondering, what can I do? What can I do? To, to, I've I got to show him what he means to me. I've got to somehow communicate to him uh, how I feel when I'm in his presence. Um, I, I, I put on my best dress. Maybe I'll put on my best makeup. You know, and maybe that doesn't even look very religious, but, but it's what she knows how to do. And, and, and then she's got this, this alabaster jar here, which is more than just the tool of her profession. This is probably her, her safety uh, uh, net. If something goes wrong, uh, she could sell this and live for a little while off of it. This is her income. This is her bank account. But she says, what can I do to, to show him what he means to me? I'll grab my ointment. I'll grab my hair. I know how to kiss. And she runs into the house and she just starts doing what she knows knows how to do. But now it's not a, for a sensual reason at all. It used to be used like that. But now she's just trying to say to Jesus, I'm desperate for you. You mean the world to me. You touch my heart. I feel like a person when I'm around you. I feel like I have value when I'm around you. I'll give anything for you. I, I, I just I can't stop myself. So she kisses him and massages his feet and pours on this ointment. What God wants from us is our heart. And we don't have a whole lot to bring to the table. In fact, as I said, the best we have to bring to the table is the Bible says filthy rags. But that becomes a thing of beauty in God's eyes when we offer it up to Him. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, the Lord says, come, let us reason, or let, 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 let's argue this out. Let's, 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 let's make a deal, He's saying. Though your sins are as scarlet, I'll make them pure as snow. And though your sin is like crimson, I'm going to make it soft as wool. This is the deal the Lord says. Bring to me what you got. And I know that what you got is sin. But you know what? 
Here's the trade. You give me that and I'm gonna do, I'll give you my righteousness. I will give you my holiness. I will give you my spirit. I will give you my kingdom. I will give you my life. Just bring to me. Just bring to me what you've got. I know about your past. I know about the mistakes that you've made. I know the people that you've hurt. I know how you've been hurt. Bring me the wounds. Bring me the sin. Bring me the fear. Bring me the struggles. And I'll tell you the trade that I'll make. I'll take that on myself. And I will give you myself. I will give you worth. I will give you love. I will give you my spirit. I will give you eternal life. Praise God. What a deal. The amazing thing is that some people say no to that deal. I want to say yes. You know, when I was a kid in, in Lansing, Michigan, we had a, uh, a guy used to come around in an ice cream truck every, every day around 1 o'clock or so. And we're playing out in the hot sun. I was playing by myself like I usually did, but all the other kids were playing in a group. I don't know why that turned out like that. But the ice cream truck comes. And uh, um, we all run, you know, it's a whole ice cream truck, ice cream all kids get. And, um, but see, the smart kids always would carry a quarter in the pocket because they got the point that, yeah, there's a pattern here. An ice cream truck comes along. And I, said, I never did that. And this one time I was just so hot and I so badly wanted a popsicle or one of those dilly bars, you know, or ice cream sandwiches or something. I was so hungry for it. I was desperate for it. But I didn't have any money. And I quickly went up to all the kids and was like, can I borrow a quarter? Can I borrow a quarter? Can I borrow a quarter? And no one had any extra quarters. And so they're all getting their stuff, and I'm right at the back of the line wondering, what am I going to do here? So I checked my pockets, and I had two bottle caps. I had an old popsicle stick with some string around it. And that was for me, I, I used to play with this stick and string all the time, just like making it in my world of imagination. And that was a very precious toy to me, and so maybe that was going to be worth something. And then I had, and then I looked around, I was looking for some pennies on the ground or something, you know, just desperate. And I found this rock that was pretty shiny, kind of had a gold tint to it. And I thought, okay, maybe I can make them a deal. So I went up to the ice cream truck, and finally all the other kids are out there eating, engorging their faces, and I'm like, oh, I've got to get something. So I, I said, you know, you know sir, I, I don't have any money, but I, I, I got better than that. Check this out. I put on my, my, my stick and string, and it's like, you know, that is a, a really cool toy. You can make an airplane out of that. Uh, it can be a gunfighter, really, you know, try to... And then, and then I put on my bottle caps, and I try to convince them that these are rare bottle caps. They're not ordinary bottle caps. And then my coup de gras was a stone. Hey, check, check out this. And I think this is real gold. I mean, you could buy another, you know, a truck with this. And, but today I'm running a special. I, 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 all I want is, is like a popsicle. Uh, so do, do you think we can make a deal? And the guy, the guy, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was really bamboozling him. Looking back at it, I don't think I was. But he, he, he picked up the stick and string and was like, oh, that's interesting. And the bottle caps, oh, rare, oh, okay. And then the rock, he was like, oh, this is, where'd you find this? Are you sure you want to give this up? It's like, well, it's a tough call, but I think I, think I do. <laughs> I, and then he says, I think it will be enough. And I said, enough for what? And he says, you take your pick. Isn't that merciful? That is mercy. That is, he, had, he must have seen it in my eyes. How, how much I wanted this. And, and, and so he cut me this deal. And that's what the Lord does with us. What do you got? What do you got? You got a stick and a string. I'll take it. Amen. You got a stick and a string. You got some bottle caps. Oh, I can use those. Oh, you got a, you got a rock. I'll tell you what, we'll make a deal. You, you, you give me what you've got. And, and I will, you take your pick. I'll give you the, the kingdom. 
Oh, you know, we're like, we're like little kids. Sometimes I think, who, you know, little kids when they say, look at me, look at me. They're always saying that. And they can do a cartwheel kind of and, and, and a flip kind of. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's not a very good flip. But to the parents, it's like, oh, that's beautiful. What do my kid can do? You know, because it's your kid and it's, it's your kid's heart. God comes to us and he says, give me what you got. And you know what? It doesn't much matter what you've got. You got a bottle cap, I'll take it, I'll give you the kingdom. You can sing a little bit, I'll take it, I'll give you the kingdom. Maybe you can play drums, I'll give you the kingdom. I can dance before the Lord, well, I'll give you the kingdom. You know, I, I know how to talk in front of people, okay, I, I can use that. I got a lot of sin, I got a lot of problems, I got a lot of struggles, I got a lot of hang-ups, I got a lot of fear stuff. The Lord says, you know what, give it to me. Give it to me because that's you and I am passionately in love with you. And when you give it to me, I can make something beautiful out of it. Something gorgeous out of it. Something lovely out of it. Amen. An amazing thing is that this is how he builds the kingdom. This is God. He does everything backwards. He builds the kingdom out of bottle caps and strings and sticks and, and, and fool's gold. What we have, we give to him. You got a penny, you give a penny. Boom, he loves it because that comes out of your heart. You got, maybe you're good at selling stuff. You got a million dollars. You give it to God. He'll make something good out of it. But what's important is not what is given. It has no worth in and of itself. But it acquires worth when the heart behind it is giving it in devotion to God. The final thing I want us to see here is just this. Look at how, how extravagant, even outrageous, uh, this lady's behavior is. She was breaking all the rules. Oh, man, she's just busting rules left and right. She you know, comes into this house uninvited, a hooker into a Pharisee's house, Touching this guy, not just touching, but continually kissing and rubbing. And, and, and this precious ointment she's pouring out, wasting on the feet of Jesus. She's just breaking all the rules. And the Pharisees, religious people who get life from religion, they get life from being on the side of the good as opposed to the bad. It's even saying, why aren't sinners bashing down our doors? They, see, that kind of sets up the problem because we act like we're not like them. You see, but religious people, get, they get points from the distinction. And so, they're looking at this lady, and, and see, they, they see the world in terms of good and evil. That's that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's decent, what's not decent. What's fair, what's not fair. What's law-abiding, what's not law-abiding. You know, what's proper, what's improper. And this lady, they're on the side of the proper and the religious and the law-abiding, and she's definitely on the wrong side here. She's breaking all the rules, and they're getting really, really mad at it. But see, Jesus has a very different perspective. This woman... The, this woman, you see, she wasn't into that game because she'd already lost at it. And, it. and it is of value to have lost at that game because you no longer try to play it anymore. You, you don't try to establish a quid pro quo relationship with God because you know that you've already bombed on that one. The, the people that are hardest to reach, who don't feel that tenderness of the presence of God, are the people who really think that they don't have that much to be forgiven from who really think they can like, make a deal with God on their own terms. This woman had bottomed out. She knew that her only hope was the mercy of God. Her only hope was that Jesus Christ uh, would see something in her that no one else could see. And that's what she sensed around Him, and that's why she craved being around Him. She had given up on the quid pro quo, now's a good and evil game. And see, here's the thing. When, when you've given up on that, when you realize that you are just a debased sinner who can stand before God only by the grace of God, only by the mercy of God, when you begin to understand the infinite debt that you've been released from as this lady had, but as the religious people hadn't, hadn't seen, when you realize how much you've been forgiven, sometimes it makes you do some kind of outrageous things for some people. 
See, religious people, people who get life from the religion, they're always proper. They're always decent. They're always orderly. Everything is just and so because they get life from it being just so. You see, they'll give 10% and they get life from giving 10%. And they're very you know, adamant at giving 10% and set up a lot of rules around 10%. And praise God, that that's a good thing to give. There's a biblical pattern for that. But they're getting life from it. But they won't give 11% or 15% or 50%. They'll do just the minimum, the deal stuff. But when a heart sees how outrageous God's love is towards them, and the amount that they've been forgiven, when you really can see this, now all of a sudden, the minimum, the proper, the decent, isn't the issue. It's how can I show love? How can, how can I just outrageously express to, 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 to Jesus Christ what, what he means to me. And, and sometimes that can't be contained in the nice and proper, ordinary kind of thinking. I was at a ch- church uh, several years ago where, uh, towards the end of the sermon, a lady stood up and she got very emotional. She's kind of waving her arms and crying and saying, Thank you, Jesus. I just, I just love you, Jesus. And just kind of carrying away. And I was a guest here, so I, I just kind of was going to flow with it. I just started praising God with, with her. And other people started praising God with her. And I was wondering what the pastor was going to do, but he was okay with it, so we let it go. Afterwards, the pastor came up and said, you know, I, I just want to tell you a little bit about what was happening there. You see, that lady, he almost apologized, but he said he didn't want to apologize because he thinks it was good. Uh, but this lady, you see, uh, up till three months before this service, she was a, uh, a prostitute who was addicted to drugs, and several years earlier she had sold her baby uh, to support her drug habit. And three months ago, she got the revelation that God loves her anyways, that she's forgiven, that she's clean, that she's pure, that she's spotless. And she hasn't shut up ever since. That's what he said. She can't contain herself. And I know that, you know, the Bible says be decent and in order, you know, but, but uh, you know what? If you get the revelation that you're forgiven after you sold your baby uh, to support a drug habit, when it really dawns on you, it's kind of orderly and proper to express yourself emotionally. Amen. And when you understand, you see, when you under, if you knew the story behind it, maybe you'd understand some of the expression. Simon didn't get excited about anything because he thought he was a pretty decent person who didn't need to be forgiven much. This woman knew that, 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 that she had an infinite debt that needed to be taken care of. Simon also had it, but he didn't know it because he had a religious system keeping himself from seeing that. This woman who crashed the party knew what was going on. So there's an outrageous burst of emotion doing outrageous things, not going according to what is proper. And so here's the thing. If we were seeing things clearly, if we really could get freed from a religious spirit, we would all individually realize that we have been forgiven 10,000 times what that lady who sold her baby was forgiven. Amen? We've all been forgiven an infinite debt. What I know is this. I have been, I, I, I was lost, but now I'm found. And, and, and there's times where you're just going to have to cut me a little bit of slack if I get a little too emotional about that, all right? I was going to hell, and now I'm going to heaven, okay? I, I had no life, but now I've got a life. I had no purpose, but now I've got purpose. I was dirty, but now I'm clean, praise God. I was condemned, but now I'm forgiven. You'll excuse me if I get a little out of control sometimes. If I get a little emotional, will you cut me some slack? You know what I'm saying? You know, praise God. There are times where it just hits you. It just hits you. And it, the outrageousness of God's stance towards you makes you sometimes do outrageous things. And yes, you know, you've got to do things decently in order. And I know there's services sometimes where people, you know, it becomes a showboat thing and that's kind of the criteria that you're spiritual. And, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the person next to you maybe all of a sudden lays down on the floor. 
And that's not normal church stuff. Uh, but you know what? Let's make it normal church stuff. If that's what's in their heart, let them do it. And the Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Laugh with those who laugh. Weep with those who weep. Just thank God. You don't know the story of the person. Maybe if you did, you'd understand why, why they're, they're doing uh, what they're doing. People, you know, we're all different. Some people, especially in Scandinavian countries, uh, they, 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 they feel outrageous stuff. They're thankful. They're just quiet about it. You know, okay, okay praise God. Huh? And that's, that's fine. Just don't canonize that as the only way you can do it. Uh, we're just saying, let, let's be like Jesus who cut this lady some slack to go ahead and express what was on her heart. The heart is what makes it beautiful, praise God. This is the outrageous love of God. Uh, friends, I, I, I just pray that we could see people like Jesus saw this woman. See past the exterior and look into the heart. And even if their heart is darkened, to see them in light of, of, of what God did for them. Because that's what God does to us. We've been loved much, we're called to love much. And if we get that down, everything else is taken care of. I'm going to have two questions here. Would everybody pray? If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord, I'm going to ask you to be bold. Because becoming a, uh, becoming a disciple of His takes guts. Jesus didn't make it easy. And I, I'm feeling led right now to not make it easy. Because if it's on your heart, it's something you're willing to do. I'd like you to stand up and come forward here, and I want to pray for you personally up here, okay? If you're here this morning, and, and you maybe for the first time are getting the fact that Jesus died for you, and you need to be forgiven, would you just come forward here really quickly? Anybody here at all in this auditorium? Stand up and come on down. If that's too much to ask, and you're just not ready to make the, the, the commitment of being a disciple, and that's okay, maybe next week. But if you're here this morning and God's tugging at your heart, I encourage you to stand up and come forward here. Jesus said, if you're not ashamed of me, I won't be ashamed of you. It's a matter of stating out loud, I want to make a stand for Jesus Christ. I want to make a declaration for Jesus Christ. I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. It's not about just believing something. It's about committing your life. Praise God. Come on now, brother. Come on now, brother. Anybody else? Who here wants to get into the kingdom? Don't wait any longer. Amen. Is there anybody else? Come on down. And it's just a matter of saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll stand up for you. I want to surrender my life to you. He died that he might have this relationship with you. And this is how it begins. It's like standing up on a wedding day saying, I do. Praise God. Brother, come on over here. Amen. Amen. Praise God. What is your name? Eric, what is your name? Jesus. Praise God. I'm so happy for you. Would you just pray this prayer? Uh, have it come from your heart. Uh, and just join with me in this. Heavenly Father, I know you made me. And I know you love me. You are Lord and you are God. And I confess that I am a sinner. And I don't deserve your love. But I believe that you love me anyways. And I believe that you died on Calvary for me. And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me. Wash me. Make me clean. Give me a new life. Live in me. And help me live for you the rest of my life. 
thanking you. Thank you, Lord, for loving me just as I am. Amen. God bless you, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Outrageous love. Outrageous love. Outrageous love. Praise God. Let me close with this prayer. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would throughout this week help us to remember our most fundamental call, and that is to love like you love. God, give us your spirit and manifest your spirit of love through us. Give us the magnetic quality that you had that would attract people and give us the chance to show them maybe just in a word or an expression or maybe in some other ways what you think about them. Thank you, Lord, for loving us outrageously, Lord God, and now live through us so that we might live outrageous, loving lives for others. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Would the prayer team come forward? And if you're here and have any need whatsoever, we encourage you to come forward and uh, uh, pray for those needs. God bless you guys. We love you.